1: Hey guys! Welcome
0: to this week's episode of the Inside Line Formula One podcast.
1: Oh my god, Kunal, I see what you did there, but give me back my position, goddammit. You're not allowed to jump me at the start. Where is the team boss, Matia?
0: Well, I thought you were the team boss, and we don't have a Matia on the show, but we definitely have a Mithila on the show. Welcome to this episode, guys. It's been a lot of fun, the Russian Grand Prix, but that's not the only thing that we're going to talk about.
1: Yeah, while I figure out how I'm going to complain about Kunal to myself, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things on this episode. You know, a few days after the Russian Grand Prix and the talk of the Formula One universe is still Ferrari and their drivers. And
0: their excessive race management at Sochi.
1: Yeah, we thought it would be better to record a fresh episode after the Ferrari drama cools off. But guys, this is what happens when there's a fortnight between races. The story just lingers on and on and on.
0: So in this week's episode of the Inside Line Formula 1 podcast, we talk Ferrari. Should they reconsider Vettel's relationship with the team? Should they let go of Sebastian Vettel from a financial and a political point of view?
1: Yeah, we know that Charles Leclerc is fast, but does he have the experience to battle Hamilton and Verstappen next year if they absolutely charge at him?
0: Ferrari are the leaders, Mercedes are the underdogs. Is that how really things are at this stage of the 2019 Formula 1 season?
1: And dear Formula 1, please, please, please ban the helmet design change ban. I mean, come on, guys.
0: Yes, just hear that again. The helmet design ban needs to be banned. That's what we keep saying And please do not take away our joys from qualifying. I am actually now reminded of the song. Now we're just somebody that I used used to know. know. That's soon what's (laughs) going to become of our qualifying operations in Formula 1. Yeah,
1: guys, on that note or on that tune, actually, please subscribe to us. We're on iTunes. We're on Audioboom. We're on Spotify. We're on all the other audio platforms on the internet. Just search for us and we're there.
0: And before we commence this episode, a big thank you to Aman Goklani from Audio Boom. He's off to greener pastures after a solid stint at Audio Boom. So, thank you for being there. Thank you for being our trusted partner and advisor for the Inside Line F1 podcast.
1: And, Aman, all the very best to you as you grow further in this glorious world of podcasting.
0: Right. So, Ferrari, the team actually have found pace with their car only to lose peace with their drivers. I've been waiting all Russian Grand Prix to say that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You've been practicing in your head, haven't you, Kunal? You can tell us. (laughs) But it's true, because in the early season, it was Sebastian Vettel who was absolutely backed by Ferrari, even in those 50-50 situations. But ever since the summer break, everyone is naturally expecting Ferrari to back Charles Leclerc.
0: Yes, Charles Leclerc is fast, on track, on the radio and in politics. He is actually learning to play Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel in front of the public. And how?
1: This is just a few days after he said that he will actually shut up on the radio.
0: (laughs) So much for not being self-aware and self-controlled or whatever. But, you know, Charles has realized that there is some hesitation at Ferrari to back him fully. Understandably so. So he's not only just driving quicker than Vettel, he's also outplaying Sebastian Vettel in the political games at Ferrari as well.
1: For me, it was just so good to see glimpses of the vintage Vettel back, you know, in terms of pace, because he just ran away at the start. And also in terms of disobeying disobeying team orders, uh, the architect of the famous Multi-21 himself (laughs) back in action...
0: Yes, as somebody said, multi five one six, but you know, that's just too long a number to remember. <laughs> but yes, Russia seemed like Vettel was trying to make a point to Charles Leclerc. It was something on the lines of, Hey, I can play games too, because these guys have been playing games since Monza. Remember?
1: But I can also tell you what's different, Kunal. When Vettel was at Red Bull Racing, he was their future. So the team absolutely rallied around him and they let things go. But at Ferrari, Leclerc is the future. So this political gamesmanship that we have going could be Vettel's to lose.
0: Well, you know, I think this is exactly the dilemma for Ferrari. Who do they favor in the short term? And that's a question we open to you listeners in this episode as well. Because in the long term, we all know that it is Charles Leclerc. But for the short term, is it Vettel or is it Charles? And... What do you think, Mithila? Who would you pick if you were the team principal of Ferrari?
1: I'll tell you what, I'm really curious to see what our listeners say. And guys, please tell us your thoughts. Share with us what you all are thinking. And you know what? We'll discuss it on the next podcast.
0: No, but I still want your opinion. Would it be Leclerc? Would it be Vettel? You cannot toe the neutral line.
1: (laughs) Just when I was hoping to be politically correct... But could I you can't now? play
0: politics with me you know, on the with on Le podcast with... I'd <laughs> go
1: with Leclerc.
0: Okay, that's fair. I think I would go with Sebastian Vettel. I could have guessed. Yes, purely because, you know, he's just got the experience. And anyway, we will tell you why we will... I, I would go with Leclerc. I will tell you that, right? Because at the moment, you know, Ferrari's hesitation with Leclerc is understandable. I mean, Vettel's got the experience of fighting for world championships. Yes, You know, the last 12-14 months haven't been the best for Sebastian Vettel, but he has still got the experience. And when you have a 22-race calendar in front of you, it's just not talent that gets you a world championship.
1: And I would agree that Charles Leclerc is an unknown quantity when it comes to a title challenge between Hamilton and Verstappen. Because he hasn't quite been put to that test yet. Uh, We're getting good reason to see that Leclerc will hold good in even those high-pressure situations. But can Ferrari and will Ferrari take that chance?
0: So, at this note, we would love to see our comments. Write to us on our Facebook page or tag us on Twitter and let us know who would be that one driver you would back if you had the position of being Ferrari's team principal, right? But on a lighter note, Charles Leclerc, it is reported that he left his girlfriend you know, in the last few weeks to commit fully to Ferrari. And that's fairly immature of him when it comes to managing relationships.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, like I read on Twitter, uh, apparently Leclerc could only handle one toxic relationship <laughs> at a time. <laughs> he
0: pretty, chose Ferrari. That's pretty cruel. But yeah. here's, here's another interesting thought. Vettel is paid $45 million per year. Of course, this includes Bayes... Pay plus bonuses for wins and podiums and all of that. Whereas Leclerc, for a similar package, would have probably been paid something that's 20 times lower. Now, would Ferrari be thinking that if they let go of Leclerc, say at the end of next year, because that's when his contract runs out, they will be able to give Charles the status he wants, the number one driver at, in the team. And they could actually use Vettel's salary much better because Leclerc's contract, which is also due for renewal at the end of next year, will actually see his team negotiating for a much higher pay than he currently has.
1: Those are all interesting angles, you know, political, financial... And Kunal, in all of this, I just hope that Sebastian Vettel is treated with respect and dignity.
0: Yes, I hope so as well. Yeah,
1: I just remember what Lewis Hamilton said a few days ago actually, that the Ferrari uh, which Charles Leclerc is putting on pole is actually the Ferrari that Vettel has developed for the past several years.
0: Yes, that's true. And you know, with all those spins and all those mistakes he's made, Ferrari have probably learned better on that (laughs) car as well. I'm kidding guys, I'm sorry. Yes, we said respect, dignity, but I couldn't you know, sort of hold myself back, <laughs> you know, please prove me wrong, Sebastian. All right. But uh, I would also like to talk about why Sebastian Vettel jumped out of the car, you know, when he retired at the in the Russian Grand Prix and why Ferrari didn't get him to drive his car back to the pits, uh, even though the pits were actually very close by. So the first point is that Vettel's car was actually on, you know, on in terms of electrical and kinetic energy. So the drivers have been trained to not touch the car and the ground at the same time, you know, to avoid an an electrical shock. And that's why Vettel jumped off the car, right? And these these are the unknown dangers of motorsport or Formula One at the moment, because the ones that we see are, you know, the crashes and those things that happen. But even the MG UK that probably failed on the car could fail a driver if the driver doesn't jump off. And as for the conspiracy behind Vettel stopping on track, Ferrari instructed him to stop the car on track purely due to safety reasons. And now, due to my safety reasons on the podcast, I should let Mithila speak. I'm sure she's got a few (laughs) points here.
1: Yeah, Kunal, because the irony was that Vettel's stoppage cost Ferrari a victory with Leclerc. Uh, But here too, Ferrari made a mistake and they cost Leclerc second place as well. Yes,
0: he, he lost second place because they pitted him one whole lap later.
1: And beat this, Uh, Jacques Villeneuve said that Ferrari's loss was as a result of their karma. (laughs) I couldn't believe it because out of all the people in the paddock, I mean, I don't believe that he's the one who believes in karma because he's just down talked so many drivers. (laughs) I'm sure he's collected a lot of bad karma then.
0: Ouch. But... Switching to Lewis Hamilton, he is just such a fighter. He got P2, again, a brilliant third sector in qualifying. And then in the race, he literally kept putting pressure on the Ferraris, despite being on the wrong tyre.
1: Yeah, Hamilton admitted post-race that Mercedes actually chose the wrong tyre strategy. But Kunal, I'm going to say it. Mercedes are the quicker and the luckier team among the two.
0: Absolutely. But can you imagine if Nico Rosberg hadn't retired and if he was Lewis Hamilton's teammate yet... We'd have Mercedes and Ferraris, drivers, play politics over the radio every other race. (laughs) It's like a different level of entertainment for all of us. That
1: would have been really fun. And you know what, Kunal, since we're talking so much about Mercedes, I am tempted to bring forward my What Wolf Said This Week section.
0: Go for it. It's so popular amongst (laughs) all our listeners.
1: Thank you, thank you. Keep tuning in, guys. Anyway, Wolf said that Ferrari are the leaders and Mercedes are the underdogs. And this is why Hamilton said that Ferrari are hungrier than Mercedes.
0: Well, honestly, I like the sound of all those statements because I've said this time and again, Formula One needs Ferrari to challenge Mercedes at the front. And, you know, the last few races are actually proof of just how much fun the sport can be when there is competition right ahead at the top of the field.
1: Speaking of competition, and Will said that this is the toughest period for Mercedes since the V8 era.
0: Well, yes, Mercedes are a bit behind, but not by too much. And Ferrari are actually doing what I would term as classic motorsport. You know, claim pole, control the race and score victory. And I'm glad that despite the sport changing through the years, some of these tactics remain as orthodox as they've ever been.
1: Frankly, I'm really excited with how the 2019 season is ending. And Kunal, I have to admit that my expectations for 2020 are already pretty high.
0: Yes. Fingers crossed I'm not
1: disappointed. Uh, Toro Wolf and Mattia Binotto both said that the teams are fully focusing on the 2020 cars.
0: Yes, and I'm pretty sure that pretty much all other teams on the grid are focusing on the 2020 cars more as 2019 comes to a close, because 2020 is an evolution from 2019. So form factor from this season. Should remain more or less the same next season as well. Also, the upgrades that are brought this season will help teams develop cars for 2020. Remember that, guys. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if teams like Mercedes are holding back some key innovations for 2020, since they're, you know, almost definitely winning the titles this year. It's more a matter of when than if.
1: So Mercedes apparently spent £340 million to win the title in 2018. Ouch. And uh, that's a mad amount of money to spend on only Formula 1.
0: I'm sure that's the GDP of a really small nation somewhere on planet Earth. And uh, I really wonder if, you know, in, in, in any sport, if this is the highest expense to world championship winning ratio. Right, and I'm, I'm sure the, the points per million spent would, are the calculations that are going to come out pretty soon as soon as Mercedes <laughs> win their sixth consecutive titles.
1: Yeah, and this is interesting. So out of this £340 million, uh, the parent company, Daimler, spent only £40 million. That's actually how successful the Mercedes operation is on track and on the balance sheet, actually.
0: And I'm, I'm glad you said that because Mercedes' Formula 1 team makes money from uh, sponsorships, which is all sponsorships, they get money from the parent company, Daimler, which, you know, is the owner of the Mercedes brand and so on. And then, of course, the earnings from the Formula One, uh, you know, from from FOM and not to mention, you know, other ancillary earnings like even merchandise, etc. Because between Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes, I think we are looking at a billion dollars being spent every season to make six cars go Round and round, around 21 Grand Prix's in the year. I just think that's ridiculous.
1: That is ridiculous. Where
0: is the budget cap, Mr. Jean-Torpe?
1: Okay, guys, final point from Russia. Uh, Kunal, I concur with Carlos Signs that television almost never captures the action and, you know, the excitement in the midfield.
0: Yes, let's not get into television direction and commentary and all of that in this episode because it's a long one and you know it's like the DRS for me if I keep talking I just go on because <laughs> and we all know
1: your view on that
0: yeah one. because I am in I am in I currently work in Formula One broadcast with via sports so I, I I have a lot of views on this but anyway I can just hope that uh, the midfield teams drivers and their sponsors get their due because they are all doing as they're working as hard as all the Top six teams and drivers put to place. Yeah. Top three teams and six drivers put in place.
1: Literally just like uh, Kubica sponsors, Kunal. I was like dying to like share this with our listeners that Kubica sponsors wish that they'd have gotten their due in Russia uh, because Williams' decision to retire Kubica and save, save parts hasn't gone down well with his sponsors. You know, it
0: was actually strange to see a team like Williams go through such a mess and it isn't that the team has, you know, a, a couple of drivers or a or a pair of drivers who crash their cars ever so often. So I am a bit surprised and I'm hoping to hear some official statements from Williams as we build up to Suzuka.
1: McLaren, oh my god, what a turnaround for McLaren and Carlos Sainz, actually. Uh they were P nine last year and this year they're comfortable in P four. And they crossed the hundred points barrier for the first time since they switched to Honda.
0: And since they dropped. Fernando Alonso. I must say that. This is also where karma sort of comes and plays some role when it comes to Fernando Alonso. Sorry guys, do not throw tomatoes at me, especially the rotten ones. Kunal,
1: they're coming for you. (laughs) 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 But let's remember, it was the switch to Renault that helped McLaren better their performances.
0: Yes, and this is why a departure from Renault seems a little strange. But I must say, it is sensible at the same time. I can't wait to see just how much faster McLaren ends up being With a Mercedes engine. Of course, Williams is proof that just having Mercedes engines is not enough. But I'm really excited to see what becomes of McLaren Mercedes in 2021.
1: But Kunal, can you imagine? Uh, We were the first ones to call for McLaren to dump Renault. Uh, We did this on this uh, very podcast several episodes ago. And guess what? It's finally come true. So thank you so much for listening to our advice, Zach.
0: Absolutely. We were the first ones to call it and... Two final points on the McLaren-Mercedes-Renault love triangle, because that's what I think it is. This one's for you, Zach. We know you said that McLaren wants to fight with Mercedes in the championship with Mercedes engines, but you and I both know that that's never going to happen. If you don't believe me, ask Ron Dennis why. My second point is for you, Cyril Yes. Renault will now finally be the fastest Renault on track, if that's what helps you brag in front of your shareholders.
1: (laughs) Uh, I remember a few years ago, actually, we did an episode. It was titled, Give Everyone uh, Mercedes Engines. And Kunal, I think now we should say, give everyone Ferrari engines, (laughs) because it's taken Ferrari, what, five years to catch up and beat Mercedes? But finally, they've done it.
0: Yes, and I can't believe that. Zach Brown said that there was actually a direct road car brand conflict for mclaren to consider ferrari engines that's all bs because next time i wish he'd just admit that there's just way too much history between ferrari and mclaren in formula one for mclaren to consider ferrari power i think we we would all literally everyone would understand why mclaren did not even consider ferrari power
1: Okay, great. Kunal, it's time for me to push you towards the closing notes. I know you want to keep talking. but y- Yes,
0: I wish we had a 24-hour live radio broadcast of the Yeah, Inside you think live. about
1: Formula One all the time, <laughs> don't you?
0: You dream about Formula One. Yes, I can't tell you what my dream was last night, but it was about Nico Hulkenberg. And I got a dream that he announced that he's signing for a NASCAR drive.
1: You literally told them what your dream was <laughs> about, <laughs>
0: Anyway, (laughs) I can call it a nightmare for all of us as well as for Nico Hülkenberg. Anyway, closing notes, Red Bull Racing and Max Verstappen. Last week, we said that Red Bull missing would worry Verstappen and promptly came a quote from Jos Verstappen himself. You know, he's worried that Red Bull Racing's form for 2020 and Verstappen's chances for gunning for the title Are very limited.
1: Can you believe that Max Verstappen uh, is going to be locked out because Ferrari have Charles Leclerc and Mercedes have Lewis Hamilton? Yeah. And you know, in fact, this is the current state of Formula One.
0: In all of this, Helmut Marko has said that he still targets five wins for Red Bull Racing in 2019 and he believes that this is very much possible. But I'm going to start one more rumor. Okay. If McLaren get Mercedes power, right, and we know they will, rather, and if they get quick with Mercedes power, do you think Max Verstappen could sign up for McLaren? And then there'll be a fight between Carlos Sainz Jr. and Nando Norris to get to be his number two driver if that's ever a slot out there. Who knows? Maybe McLaren is interested, maybe not. But anyway, I'm going to move on (laughs) and we'll still talk about Red Bull and Max Verstappen. Yeah,
1: I really liked uh, Helmut Marko's perspective on the Vettel situation with Ferrari at Russia. He said that Vettel has no future with Ferrari, given how Ferrari sacrificed him in the race. I wonder if that's any hint for Vettel to rejoin Red Bull Racing.
0: Well, Mattia Benotto disagreed that Ferrari purposely undercut Vettel in Russia. But, you know, it's actually easy to believe the the opposite because we all saw what happened, right? But as for future at Red Bull Racing, who knows? You know, Vettel might just go there in 2021 if Max Verstappen sort of leaves, right? Because that exit of Verstappen is going to create a vacancy at Red Bull. At the moment, they don't have a strong number 1 driver that they can replace Verstappen with. So, could that be Sebastian Vettel?
1: Yeah, for now, it is the number 2 driver discussion at Red Bull Racing for 2020 that's actually making news. And it seems that Albon is in pole position to grab that seat. Right. He made up 15 places on the grid to finish P5, which was really good.
0: Yes, I mean, you know, I agree Albon was racy and he made a few overtakes and all of that. And he has been... You know, he seems really more positively inclined towards, you know, getting his seat for 2020. But is Jacques Villeneuve, you know, he was quick to point out that Albon benefited greatly in Russia with the safety car. And that's how he overtook a lot of his rivals. We missed all of that because Formula 1 didn't really focus on the midfield. And that's where sort of Albon was battling before the safety car <laughs> came out. But anyway. I feel
1: like Villeneuve is working for Danny Kivat on this one, you know. <laughs>
0: Anyway, as long as Helmut Marko is convinced, it doesn't really matter what Villeneuve or you and I or anyone else thinks of Alexander Albon.
1: Like I said in the previous episodes and like we Steppen agreed at Russia, I honestly don't care who takes the second seat at Red Bull Racing. Let's yeah. put that on record again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, there were reports in the paddock a few days ago that young drivers are consciously avoiding the Red Bull Racing Junior Driver program, although frankly... If you're a young driver listening in, it would be really silly if you're going to ignore when a person like Helmut Marco comes knocking your door because he's the one person who has generated the, the most successful drivers in the last decade or so or thereabouts. So if he's showing interest in your single seater racing career, answer the knock on that door.
1: Great, from the Russian Grand Prix, we can't not talk about Danny Kivat. Of course. Even if we didn't want to, because he had such horrible, rotten ra- luck. Uh, he had multiple engine issues and penalties, for no fault of his own, of course. And the FI rejected his helmet design change, again, for no fault of his own.
0: Yeah, you know, on this whole helmet design change, we've been asking for a ban of this silly rule since the day it came out on our podcast, right? And I think Kivat was just a victim of being a good boy for a change. Because it turns out that several other drivers, including Max Verstappen, just don't bother to inform the FIA when they change their helmet. They just, you know, announce it on social media and on Twitter and that's about it.
1: (laughs) I hope we don't see like a mass list of penalties and reprimands for historical cases in (laughs) Suzuka.
0: You know, if I am informed correctly, the FIA wants to get rid of this rule as well, the helmet design change rule. And uh, this rule was actually made so that commentators and fans are able to recognize which driver is in which car. Especially at those speeds, yeah.
1: (laughs) Anyway, final point before we bring this episode to a close. The Formula One management met with drivers in Russia to discuss the qualifying races in 2020. And this was actually after drivers expressed their displeasure in Singapore.
0: Yes, finally, a great attempt from Formula One to ensure that only positive communication gets out from all the drivers and all quarters, including the teams and everyone else. You know, frankly, it is important to experiment But qualifying is the one session that works best, come what may. I mean, we have seen just so much competition and unpredictability in that hour. Then why this deep desire to change things? I am just not sure. You know, it's like your right hand is paining and the doctor comes and says, okay, let's treat the left hand first. That's how it seems to me.
1: Yeah, there's just so much fun in watching a Formula 1 car being driven absolutely on the limit over a single lap. Kunal, I wonder why they would take that joy away from us. Why?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, would you imagine a lady actually turning around and talking about watching a Formula 1 car being driven right on the limit? This is exactly why Mithila Mehta is my co-host on the Inside Line F1 podcast for her undying love and passion for Formula 1.
1: I feel very special. But
0: (laughs) But back to qualifying races, my final point is that can you guys imagine a qualifying race being held at a street circuit like, say, Monaco, Singapore, or even a circuit like Barcelona or Hungary, where overtaking is almost impossible? Now, this is why the qualifying uh, you know, races would be a disaster, because if we cannot implement something that is a standard at all the Grand Prix's over the season, why try something new at all?
1: On that note, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the end of our podcast for this week. And we'll be back next week with lots and lots of new stuff. And don't forget to write to us. Tell us, should Ferrari pick Vettel or Leclerc and what your reasons are for that? And we'd love to talk about it next time.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in. Adios.
1: Adios. What other piece of everyday carry do you own that can deadlift 5,000 pounds? Click belts are made with aircraft grade, lightweight aluminum, mill spec webbing, and sewn in the heart of Texas. Trusted by tens of thousands of first responders, military personnel, and everyday carry users around the world. Click belts still are and always will be the world's strongest belt. Own yours at clickbelts.com.